when it comes to talking about like current events is to understand that they probably are going to hear things. And so asking them first, what have you heard about this? And then that way you can dispel any like confusion or maybe they have some misinformation and then really sticking to the facts. I mean, when we think about older kids, we want, we can give them a lot more detail and help them understand the nuance. But when Mm -hmm. we're thinking about our younger kiddos, we just want them to, to understand, okay, something bad happened in our community. And that's why there are a lot of people who are, you know, filling the streets and standing up against this injustice. And when we're talking to little kids, obviously they don't understand the word injustice. So we like to focus a lot on fairness because mm-hmm. kids understand fairness. They get that. So helping them see, you know, do you think it's fair that someone who has brown skin would be treated poorly by the police when you might not get that same treatment because your skin is lighter? And they they can totally put those pieces together in their mind. I'm Bridget Garsh, co-founder of Neighbor Schools and your host for Work Like a Mother, a podcast dedicated to real conversations with incredible women juggling work, life, and motherhood. Today, I'm excited to sit down with Jasmine Bradshaw, an anti-racist educator, podcaster, and mother. My four-year-old Hudson recently discovered some Tintin comics my husband had as a kid. And he immediately loved them because the story is basically told through pictures and he can quote unquote, read them on his own without an adult. But the other night he asked me to read one to him. And I was shocked to discover how racist and offensive they are. I immediately panicked. While the Tintin comics are now in the trash, it left me with so many questions about how to talk to Huddy in a way he'll understand about how books can be racist why we're not reading them anymore, and what can we do to actively work against racism in the world. This recent moment made me really grateful for Jasmine and the work that she does to help parents like me navigate these conversations with our kids. When Jasmine was pregnant with her first child, she dove into anti-racism research and realized that there was a large divide between the world of academia and practical application. Jasmine launched the podcast First Name Basis to provide resources and tips for families. Her resources help parents and children engage in developmentally appropriate conversations about race, religion, and differences to help parents raise the next generation to be more anti-racist. I am so excited to be chatting with you today and learning from you. I have a lot of questions. (laughs) Uh, So thank you for being here. Absolutely. I'm so excited. I thought it would be a good place to start if you could just share a little bit about your career and how your background led you to start your first name basis podcast. I love this question because no one asks me. I'm so excited. Okay. So I, in college, I studied nonprofit leadership and management and business with a concentration in urban policy, which is a mouthful, but I went to Arizona state university and you can literally just study whatever you want, like take a pick and choose. And I started out as a business major and did that for a while, but I realized I didn't like it. And I wanted to, I knew I wanted to serve in the community. And so I was going to switch to nonprofit. But then when I was over there, I realized that they needed like the business skills to keep things sustainable and the business 
businesses needed like the passion and the like people focus of the nonprofit. So I thought if I do both of these, I'll have the skills that I need. And it was great. And I was going to go into the Peace Corps because my mom was in the Peace Corps. Um, She served in Niger. And I thought, oh, this is something really cool that I can do to serve um, in the community. And then I heard about Teach for America and I heard about the educational inequity in our society. And I was like, this is so important. My grandma, so my grandparents are, were immigrants from the, um, from the Bahamas and they were huge proponents of, if you get an education, you can help lift yourself out of poverty. It's not that simple, but that was what they taught their five children. And they were all able, my dad grew up in the projects of New York city and now they're all, you know, living comfortable, successful lives. And so I thought, what an amazing opportunity to, serve in the community and teach and learn about policy because that's what I really wanted to do was like education policy. So I joined Teach for America here in Phoenix and I taught in an under-resourced school. So many of my students were undocumented and just um, had amazing support systems from their community. And I was excited to be part of that, but there was so much I didn't know. And Teach for America has its own thing. That could be its own entire episode. <laughs> but after I decided to step away from the classroom, I was reflecting on my time there and I just thought my students needed something more. Like I was teaching them Aristotle and about Andrew Jackson, but never talking about the Trail of Tears because that wasn't in included in the curriculum. And I just thought there's something wrong here. And so I was just looking around and doing some research about what I would have done differently. And that's when I found anti-racist education. And I thought, this is what every student needs, not just students of color, like I had in my classroom. Every student needs to understand what is going on in our society when it comes to race and how does that affect every moment of your life from the time you are born. I mean, we know the statistics about black babies being born to black mothers and their mortality rate being so much higher. So after I was looking into that and thinking, okay, I don't know if I want to go back into the classroom because I had my first daughter, Violet, and I loved teaching, but I didn't feel like it was something I could do at the same time as being a mom and do it to the point that I wanted to. Like, I felt like I would be a great teacher or a great mom, but both at the same time was so hard. And so I started looking into anti-racist parenting because I was like, well, if this is something I would have implemented in the classroom, I really want to do it in my home. And I found that there really wasn't much out there at all. I remember finding one blog post of a mom who gave like five tips about being an anti-racist parent. And I was like, I need more of this. So I started doing so much research. And two of the people that I was learning about and listening to were Ta-Nehisi Coates. I watched like every lecture he ever had. And then there's a professor at Brown. Her name is Trisha Rose. And she, they both said something that stuck out to me so much. They said, all of this information about anti-racism is trapped in academia. We need somebody to take it from academia and bring it to the masses. And I thought, okay, I can do that. I'm doing all this research anyway. Why don't I share with people what I'm learning? And so that was about five years ago. And I took a while to figure out how I wanted to get the information Mm -hmm. out. But then when I heard of a podcast, I was like, that's perfect because I can say it and then people can listen to it forever and ever. So I 
was doing research about what should I call it and all of those things. And I came up with the name first name basis because when I was learning about implicit biases, one of the biggest things that people have found in their research is that when you get on a first name basis with someone, your biases against that community are really dismantled. And it's not just, oh, I know you, I know your name. It's, I know you, I know your family. I care about your situation. I'm empathetic towards the things that are facing you. And I feel like I have a responsibility here. So that's why I started First Team Basis. And we really exist to give parents the anti-racist tools that they need to raise kiddos in the society to be more equitable and fair for everybody. I love your mission as a white mom of two young boys. I know it's incredibly important to have conversations with my kids about racism, about being anti-racist, but my boys are four and two. So actually I think probably similar to your kids ages. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a four-year-old and a 16 month old. So she'll be two in August. Okay. So very similar. And I'm just not sure where to start. So what advice do you have for parents who want to navigate these conversations, like have the inclination and know that it's important, but sort of don't know where to begin? Oh, yes. That is such a good question. So the first thing that I would think about is your environment. You want to create an environment that is inviting questions from your kiddos. So do you have people in your bookshelf who look different from you? People who you watch on TV? Do you take them to events, cultural events, or things at museums where they can ask questions about the people around them? So that's the first thing is just creating a space where they see differences so that you can have natural conversations about it. And the second biggest thing that I would say when it comes to younger kids is just listening to their questions. Because your kiddos will start asking questions. They'll point to the person in the grocery store and say, why is that man all covered in black paint, right? And you're so embarrassed and you're like, oh my gosh, be quiet. We don't talk about that. But that actually sends the wrong message to them because it's not that their questions will stop coming. It's just that they will stop asking questions. So if you think now about how you're going to respond in the moment, even if you're feeling embarrassed or you're not sure what to say, giving them an explanation of, well, that person has more melanin than we do. And that, you know, contributes to the reason why their skin is darker or lighter or whatever, more melanin or less melanin. Just having those um, answers kind of on the ready in the back of your mind will really help. But also you're not going to know the answer to everything. So it's more about helping them see that is such a good question. I'm not sure. Let's learn about it together. Because obviously the thing about melanin, a lot of us know at this point, but when I started my podcast, I got messages from people all the time telling me I've never heard of melanin before and I'm a full grown adult. I believe that, right? So it's just about understanding that you as the parent have the the tools when you take the time to answer their questions and then opening yourself up to knowing they're going to have questions that I don't know the answer to, but I can figure it out with them. I love that. I love the, I, I don't know why, but it's like when we're kids, right? We see our parents and think they know absolutely everything. So in, in some ways I feel like this pressure to be like, oh, I better know every single answer for my kid, which is just completely unreasonable. Like the questions that they ask, I'm not always going to be able to answer. Right. Um, so 
I think that idea too, of, of just being open and honest, like that's a great question. I don't know how to answer it, but we can figure it out together. That takes the pressure off the parent too, because it makes it feel like, oh, I can always have that answer at the ready and be encouraging and supportive rather than feeling like I need to be an encyclopedia and have every answer at my fingertips. Yes. And the thing is that you just have to make sure you actually follow up. Like the other day, Violet, my four-year-old was asking me about the moon and she asked so many questions. And at the end of the conversation, I had said, I'm not sure. Let's look it up together. So many times that she said, why don't you know everything? (laughs) And I was like, because there's so many things to learn and we're always learning, but I'm so excited that I get to learn it with you. So it's like modeling that in many different parts of your life. This is the part where you're talking about race, but like, uh, why don't you know everything? I don't know anything about the moon. Let's figure it out together. How do you take sort of like an extension of this is how do you take some of the really challenging aspects of our society, like racism, police brutality, like how do you take those topics and make them developmentally appropriate for the right age in a way that is not sheltering, right? And, and, and ignoring that these things exist, but in a way that also is right for, for their age. Do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest thing I would say when it comes to talking about like current events is to understand that they probably are going to hear things. And so asking them first, what have you heard about this? And then that way you can dispel any like confusion or maybe they have some misinformation and then really sticking to the facts. I mean, when we think about older kids, we want, we can give them a lot more detail and help them understand the nuance. But when Mm -hmm. we're thinking about our younger kiddos, we just want them to, to understand, okay, something bad happened in our community. And that's why there are a lot of people who are, you know, filling the streets and standing up against this injustice. And When we're talking to little kids, obviously they don't understand the word injustice. So we like to focus a lot on fairness Mm because kids understand fairness. Oh my gosh, he got two snacks and I only got one. (laughs) They get that. So helping them see, you know, do you think it's fair that someone who has brown skin would be treated poorly by the police when you might not get that same treatment because your skin is lighter? And they, they can totally put those pieces together in their mind and just Last week, actually, I was pulled over because my registration was out of date and I didn't realize I had no idea. It's one of those things that my husband handles and I don't think about, which I'm like reevaluating that piece because I'm like, I need to be more responsible about that. But I got pulled over. And when we were pulled over, um, the police officer was walking up to my car and I turned to Violet and I very sternly told her, we have to be quiet. You have to listen and we have to be very calm don't do like, don't yell, you know, just very sternly talking to her about what we had to do because I hadn't had that conversation with her yet. Mm. And she's white presenting. And so after it was all over, she asked me, mom, why were you so nervous is what she said. And I explained to her because she was said, you didn't do anything wrong. Why are you so nervous? And Mm. I explained to her, you know, sometimes people like mom have brown skin or people like grandpa who have brown skin 
can the police are dangerous for us? And she was so confused. And she, and she was even asking me, did he have a gun? And I said, yeah. And she said, what is it for? And I said, to hurt people. And she was, it's, I could see her little wheels turning and she doesn't understand all of it, but she's starting to put those pieces together that this is not fair. That's my mom would go through something that I wouldn't have to go through just because she has brown skin. It's not fair. So it's hard and it, it, it's heart-wrenching. I'm glad that I'm talking about it without crying because for a while I was really emotional about it. And my husband was like, I hate that she's so young and having to learn about this. And I'm like, I, I do too, but it's the reality of our family structure is that I'm in more danger than she is. And I need her to, to be able to know how to act in those situations. If something like that were to happen again. When did you first start talking to her about race overall? Like what did those very early conversations look like? So for her, I mean, for our family, I feel like it's a blessing that we have so many different colors in our family because it's so easy. I mean, I'm like, look at grandpa has dark brown skin. Mom has medium brown. You have light cream skin. So just talking about the different people in our lives. And that's the other benefit of first name basis is that we know so many people that Mm. when we're talking about skin color, it's just, oh, this person that we know and love, this person that we know and love. So I think that's one of the benefits of expanding your community. Um, but the other thing is just, she would point it out. She would say, I saw a brown man walking by and I'm like, oh, that's amazing. What was he doing? Was he walking a dog? And just fostering that conversation around that. Or one time we were at the park and she, there's a woman that she loves to listen to this African singer. And she has like really short, like a buzz cut. And we saw a woman at the park who kind of looked like that. And she said, mom, it's Miriam. (laughs) I was like, no, that's not her, but it looks like her. And we talked about how, you know, a lot of people wear their hair short or long or, so it's just about talking about physical features in relation to it being a totally common thing. Like just like people have different color hair, just like people have different color eyes, people have different color skin. And so that's where we started was just by what we saw in our environment. And even this past Christmas, she got to go to a Christmas party and they had a brown Santa and she came home and was so excited. And she said, mom, I got to meet Santa. And guess what? He had brown skin. And I was so excited celebrating that with her. So right now in her mind, all of these things are just a point of celebration. And that's what we want for kids who are younger than six. Like we want them to understand themselves and build up their own social identities and their confidence in themselves, and then feel comfortable with the diversity that's around them. And I think um, one of the things, there's a book, it's called Anti-Bias Education for Young Children and Ourselves. And they have four goals of anti-bias education. The first is understanding, you know, your own social identity. And the second is becoming comfortable with diversity. And in that book, they talk about one of the only constants in our world is that everyone is different. So helping your kids understand that differences are exciting even though they cause friction sometimes, it's a good common part of our lives. What do you think? I mean, I can imagine, and even thinking about my own circle of people that I know, how there, you know, there are a lot of people who look like me and my husband were both white. And so there might be less differences visually in our friend circle. So how can we create more of those opportunities to introduce like, 
like you were saying, you know, with the whole concept behind first name basis is if we don't have those people on a first name basis in our lives, like what are things that we can be doing when our, you know, friend circle might not be as diverse? So there are two kind of categories to do this. There are the things that like you probably already are doing in your home and you can do a little bit more of. And then there are like pretty big life change type of things. Like I'm thinking of, of course, including like books by authors who are people of color that highlight people of color and not just in situations of struggle. I think that's the hardest thing that a lot of mm. people talk about the black community and their struggle, which we, yes, that's true. <laughs> like We do have struggle, but if you look at our community, there is so much joy and in like excitement and love and wisdom in being black. And so we want our children to understand that it's not all about the struggle being, being black is exciting. So when you have those books sitting down and pointing it out to them, because Sometimes our kids will pick up on social cues that we necessarily haven't even said out loud. So Mm. they won't talk about skin color because we don't talk about skin color, but we never told them not to. It just is something that they've picked up, right? It's just like when you're my 16 month old knows what to do with the toothbrush and a hairbrush. And she like, I've never told her what to do with them. She just watched everybody. Right. And so I'm thinking about books and movies and experiences in your community, going to the museum or going to cultural events, especially you would think that there are a lot of places where there aren't as many cultural events. I thought that because I live in a really um, segregated place in Mesa, Arizona, but I found that there is so much to do. One of our favorites is there's a Chinese cultural event in January, and there's always a Dia de los Muertos event because we have a big Latina community. So just going to those things and exposing them to lots of different types of people and, and those like good, exciting feelings. And then the other category are more like real life changes that parents have to think about when you're Mm -hmm. thinking about where your kid's going to go to school or daycare. When you go and you visit, I'm hoping that's something that you do before you choose, asking the teachers, what does your curriculum look like? Or just scanning the environment, look around at the walls. What kind of posters do they have on the wall? What kind of people are highlighted in their bookshelf? I think you can learn a lot about a place when you see who's missing. So when you're looking around, you're thinking, who's missing here? And how can they be included? And is that part of their value system as a daycare or as a school or or not? And understanding that if if not, if that is a school that you choose, then you're going to have a responsibility as an anti-racist parent to help them make growth in that area. Or if you decide to go with another school because you feel like it's better aligned with your values, just understanding that that is a piece of it, just as much as you want great teachers and great extracurriculars, mm-hmm. you want that diversity and inclusion and anti-racism included in their education. Well, and this is one of the reasons why I love your Ally Elementary program. Um, I feel like so many of us are looking for resources to engage in this work. Can you describe a little bit more about that program? Yeah, that is a great question. So Ally Elementary is a five-week program that you can do with your kiddos. And well, you don't have to do it over five weeks, but it's five different modules. And each module has a few lessons in it. And we take you all the way from talking to them about melanin to making an anti-racist family pledge. So you're first starting just figuring out what is melanin? What does it look like? What's mine? What's yours? 
who are the people in our community who have more and less? And then moving through, okay, what is race? Where did this idea of race come from? And, and how has it affected things? And then what is racism? So it just builds on itself so that your children can go from a baseline understanding of, you know, being a good friend to truly being an ally to the other people in their class or in their community. So Ally Elementary um, is a program that we open a few times a year. So enrollment is actually closed right now, but people can join in the waitlist if they go to firstnamebasis.org slash waitlist. Um, but I think I, I want to share because I know sometimes when people hear about the waitlist, they're like, darn it. It's okay. We have something that you can download today for free. It's our race talk roadmap. So if you go to firstnamebasis.org slash race talk, just put in your email and it'll go come right to your email. It is the first three steps to talking to your kiddos about race. And we have one for older kids and younger kids, just so that it's developmentally appropriate for them. So it's just kind of some of the things that I've been talking about, introducing them to different types of people and melanin and all of that. But then when you think about older kids, it's like, okay, how do we talk about racism and what does that look like? So we spent a lot of time talking about your work, which is incredibly important and so valuable to society, to us as parents. But I want to spend a little time talking about you and your, your motherhood. Did you always know that you wanted to have kids and what did your like journey to motherhood look like? Oh my gosh. That's <laughs> so no, I didn't know, always know that I wanted to have kids. I guess I had a feeling I always knew I wanted to be married or be in a committed, like long-term relationship. That was always a huge goal. I just thought I saw my parents, they've been buried for 30 something years at this point, And they're just so sweet and so in love. And I guess I should have said this at the beginning, I'm black biracial. So my mom's white and my dad's black. And so they've had a lot of struggles just based on what, how other people have treated them and things like that. And they've always faced it together. And it just looked like such an amazing team. And I wanted to be part of a team like that. So when I got married to my husband, we met in college. I was in college. He was in law school. And I, we got married. As soon as I was done with college, I was very young. <laughs> and after um, I went in to, to Teach for America, at the end of my time there, my mom got really sick. It was so scary and so horrible. And it was one of those moments where you just are like, okay, I am seeing right now what is the most important to me in my life. Mm -hmm. And I had planned to go to grad school. I was, um, I had an, a job at ASU so that I could like supplement my education by working there and all of that. And after my mom got sick, I just thought, no, I think the most important thing for me right now is for my parents to be grandparents and for us to grow our family. So, uh, we decided to have, um, our first baby and it was one of those things where I didn't know what I didn't know. Like, because my sister, so I have one sister, she's four years younger than me. She, I was four when she was born. I don't remember when she was a baby and I don't know anything about babies. So I just felt like I was drinking from a fire hose, but it has been the most stretching, wonderful, beautiful experience of my life to become a mom. And I felt like really in those first few months we were learning together because I was like, what is this? This is so hard. And no, like I read a lot of books and stuff, but nothing can prepare you for the unknown of being a mom. So I stayed home for the first couple of years of her life. And I 
absolutely loved it. But once I was really diving into this journey of anti-racism, that's when I thought, I wonder if I could do something where I would be able to be home with her and spend time with her, but also serve my community in a way that is outside of our family. So. Well, when you think back to those, like, I guess to that time before you even had kids, what advice would you give to your pre-mom self? I think I would tell myself that it's okay for your motherhood to look different from others. So my mom is a clinical psychologist. She worked my whole life growing up. And I live in a community where there are a lot of stay-at-home moms. And so I felt like I was looking and my husband's mom stayed home. And she's one of those like perpetual mom grandmas. My husband has nine siblings. Well, he's one of nine. And so there are so many people and so many kids and she's always holding a baby. Like that is my mother-in-law to a T. And so I was looking around and trying to learn about what would it look like to be a stay-at-home mom because I didn't necessarily have that example growing up. And one time I found myself in Costco and I was just standing there in Costco and literally we have two people in our family and a baby who doesn't eat food. And I remember thinking, what am I doing here in this Costco? Like I thought I was supposed to go to Costco because everybody in my neighborhood goes to Costco like 30 times a week because they all have a million kids and they need to feed them this, these bulk items from Costco. And I remember thinking, this doesn't make any sense. I should not be standing in this Costco right now. I need to go home and figure out what being a stay-at-home mom looks like for me. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I really started to take ownership of like what it would look like to be a mom and realize that I didn't necessarily have to mirror what I was seeing around me, that I could forge my own path. And that was when I started to feel super fulfilled in my motherhood and just excited about the the journey that we were taking and the unknown and the all of the things that were unexpected, but that I conquered. And it just makes you feel like, oh man, like, yeah, I did that. Oh. I love that. There's so many examples that I could think of, even simple little things where you think, wow, like I achieved this today. And that's, that's monumental. I know. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for spending time with me today. I have some rapid fire questions for you before we say goodbye. Yeah. What's one piece of mom gear you can't live without? My diaper bag. Oh, I love my diaper bag. I have an itsy ritzy diaper bag and I have like the little dividers in them, the little pouches. And I thought this is so ridiculous that I'm spending so much money, but keeping my diaper bag organized is a game changer because I used to have one that was just one giant pocket and I would find like nasty moldy strawberries at the bottom of it. And it was so gross. (laughs) So switching out my diaper bag is like, yes, I needed that. Who do you love to follow on Instagram? Oh, wow. So many people, but my number one favorite, her name is Britt Hawthorne. She's another anti-racist educator and I attribute so much of my learning growth to her. She is an amazing mom and amazing teacher. She's built a beautiful, thriving community and it's, it's just so inspiring because she's also black biracial. And so it was really nice to find a lot of healing in the work that she's been doing around what does it look like to be someone who is multiracial and how do you embrace yourself as a whole instead of feeling like I'm half this and half that? What's one mom hack that makes your life easier? 
I make lunch for everybody as soon as we get up. So while I'm making breakfast and getting everybody ready for the day, I just make lunches right there. And we eat the same thing. It's either peanut butter and jelly or a turkey sandwich. And my kids know because I hate when you get to lunchtime and everybody's starving and then you're stressed and people are crying. So if you just make lunch right when you get up in the morning, it makes everything easier. And what's on your nightstand right now? Oh, I love that question. So, uh, of course, like a bottle of water, but my favorite thing on my nightstand is my flex of gold journal. Have you heard of it? No. Okay. So my friend, Rachel, she has a podcast called three and 30 takeaways for moms. It's three takeaways in 30 minutes. And she created this journal and it's one of those like one line a day journals, but it's specifically for moms to write down the golden moments of their motherhood. Cause she said she was feeling like motherhood is so much. And she was just sometimes focusing on the negative. And she realized that as she focused on like a little moment each day of gratitude within motherhood, it was so powerful to see how they like built up into something beautiful. And she, though, I just heard her talking about it the other day on her podcast. And she said, I feel like it's a record of the love that I have for my children. And this is what I want them to be able to read and experience and, and enjoy, you know, anytime. So I love my Flex of Gold journal. I've been doing it for over a year now. It's one of the only things I've been able to be consistent about when it comes to journaling. And I love to read. Go, Just go back and read about our day. And it's super mundane stuff. Like yesterday I wrote that we got to go to the lake and like throw rocks in. But that is a, a golden nugget memory that I want to have forever. It's so funny that you say that because I was just listening to, I listened to Simon Sinek's A Bit of Optimism podcast. And one of the episodes is about gratitude. And um, Omar Brownson is talking about how, like, unlike some other like mindful and like meditation practices, which are very much in your head and like in your mind space, gratitude is this emotion. And it's something that we feel very deeply. Mm. And so for him, the practice of gratitude was a way to be more present because it was this emotional connection rather than this, like, you know, logical, like rational sort of space of being in your mind. And I, it really resonated with me to like hear those words. And so now hearing you talk about this journal, I have to go check it out. I love that so much. And it's so true because throughout the day I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to write in my journal tonight? So I'm looking for those like golden moments and those pieces of gratitude. And they were always there. It's just that I wasn't, you know, as aware of them because it wasn't in the front of my mind. So yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I've loved talking with you. Work Like a Mother is produced by Neighbor Schools. Neighbor Schools is a startup in Boston that I co-founded in 2018 to help parents find daycare. As a first-time parent, finding childcare can feel scary and intimidating. At Neighbor Schools, we help you find daycare you'll feel really good about so you can go back to work with the peace of mind that your little one is getting the socialization, support, and stimulation they need to learn and grow. We've helped thousands of moms and dads figure out the daycare search. Check us out at neighborschools.com. And when you get in touch, mention that you discovered us on the podcast.
Thanks for joining me today. We'll see you next time.